0: Turn to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. We're going to be looking at just one verse, verse 10, as we continue our sermon series on the real Jesus. And right now we're looking at the prayer life of Jesus. How did Jesus pray? And Luke 11, which is a, the, the Luke's rendering of the Lord's Prayer, is where we find that the disciples ask the Lord, teach us how to pray. And here in Matthew's Gospel, we see the Lord's Prayer recorded uh, in conjunction with what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And so the disciples have asked Christ to teach them how to pray, because undoubtedly the way Jesus prays seems to be quite different than the way they pray, and definitely different than the way everybody else prays. And so this morning we arrive at verse 10. So quick uh, recap. First week, we focused in on our Father. And our Father reminds us that how we get access to God in prayer. We get access to God in prayer through adoption. We've been adopted into God's family. And we talked about all of the implications in Jewish culture of what it meant to be adopted. And that adoption gives us uh, uh, an attitude that we take to God in prayer, right? Um, we come to Him as a, a Father. It gives us that right attitude in coming to God. And then it also informs us of how we are to ask God, because he does, even though the Bible says, um, in uh, chapter six, Jesus says, "I already know what you need before you ask ask me." That doesn't mean that we shouldn't ask Him. For what we need, all right? He just wants us to know, I already know what you need before, I, before you ask it, letting us know that he's able to sort our needs out. He really knows what we need, but he wants us to ask him because the half-brother Jesus, James, tells us, you have not because you ask not. And so that took us into last week, and we fleshed last week out even more This past Wednesday night, and we had a rich, rich discussion on Wednesday night about hallowing God's name, praising God's name, adoring God's name, and how that is the key. I promise you, if if you skip over adoration, you will botch the rest of the Lord's Prayer. Because what happens in adoration is that it reorients our heart in the right direction. It puts our heart in the right direction. Um, And so we talked about last week about how we hallow God's name, that we've got to be holding. And beholding leads us to be thinking, and be thinking leads us to be appraising, and then be appraising leads to the inevitable, and that's to be expressing. We have to get out what's inside of us. In order to get out the joy, we got in order to get at the joy, we got to get out the joy that we experience as we enter into this all important aspect of prayer, which is praise or adoration or hallowing God's name. And that leads us to Matthew chapter six, verse ten this morning. And we're only going to look at the first three words. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. So that's our next progression um, as we pray, and, and let me remind us that the orientation or the order of the Lord's prayer is important because what it does, it what it does is it takes a heart that is bent on selfishness and self centeredness, and 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 all about petition and God give me what I want and do what I want you to do it reorients that heart towards God in prayer to where we can begin to pray in a way that glorifies God. Why? Because what it's doing, the orientation is actually, or the order is used to change us. I mean, it's amazing what we're praying even before we get to really our petition you know, God give us our daily bread. There's so much that we're doing before that that doesn't really have to do so much with us. That it, How it's reorienting our heart so that when we get to that point, we can ask God in a right way. So your kingdom come. So let's talk about that word kingdom, all right? So let's define what it means to be, let's define that word kingdom because words are important and understanding what a word means is vitally important and a lot of the misunderstanding that we have in our lives because we really don't know what something means. It's it's amazing to me is that how people will use words in their life and then you you ask them, what does that word mean? They have no idea. We, we We have a rule in our house. That if you use a word, you've got to know how to spell it and define it, or you can't use it, because how do you know that you're using it rightly, right? If you don't know what it means, how do you know that you're using that word rightly? So we need to define what the kingdom is. So Abraham Kuyper, an old dude, this is how he defined it. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Okay? There's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence in which Christ, who is sovereign over all, doesn't cry out, mine. That's the kingdom. God is ruling and reigning over everything. The kingdom of God was central to the teaching and the mission of Jesus. It is mentioned dozens of times throughout the gospel, but the concept is a hard one to understand. Jesus didn't give us a bullet point summary of the kingdom. Instead, he told stories and used metaphors and similes to expand our understanding of the kingdom of God. Now, listen to this. Just To to that point, listen to the Bible for a second. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a banquet and a great wedding feast. The door will be closed on some. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. You would be wise to sell everything you own to buy that field to get the treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a net like a net cast wide. It pulls in all sorts of fish, and the good fish must be separated from the bad. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who hired laborers to work in the fields. He hired them at different times of the day, but at the end of the day... He paid them all equally. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. From a small beginning comes a great tree. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. It permeates all silently and pervasively. Besides using parables, Jesus dropped comments here and there about the kingdom. Now listen to this. He said that the kingdom of heaven is hard for the rich to enter in. He said the kingdom must be received as a child. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. We should seek the kingdom first, and then worldly means such as food and clothing will be given to us. Before his crucifixion, Jesus told the disciples he would not drink or eat again with them them until he does so in the kingdom. He said that if your eye or hand prevents you from entering the kingdom, pluck it out or cut it off. Jesus said that a great reversal is coming. Harlots and tax collectors will enter the kingdom before the Pharisees. He said that the Pharisees shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Whew. That's a lot on the kingdom of heaven, right? On the kingdom of God. So what are we to make of this collage of teachings? What does the kingdom, of, of, what does the kingdom mean? A kingdom is one sphere of control. It's just one sphere of control. Uh, My office at home is my kingdom. People know not to come in my house, know not to come into my office and mess with anything, okay? That's not because I'm a jerk. That's my kingdom. That's my stuff. That's the only thing I've ever asked for in a house. When we went to look at this particular house, uh, we walked in the front door. We had looked at a lot of houses, okay? And all I heard was, no, 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 no. Two years. We looked at houses for two years. No, 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 no. We walked in the front door of of our current house, and if you've ever walked through my front door, you know that to the immediate right is built-in bookcases. I saw that there was a chair in the room. I sat down in the chair. It's, I don't see I don't I don't care what it looks like from here on out. I have found my kingdom. My sphere of influence, my rule, my domain. I I, I don't care if it has a bathroom in it. It's got built-in bookcases. There will be bu- built-in bookcases in heaven because there'll be a lot of good books that got I mean think about what the Lord said if, if everything that Jesus did had been written down on earth, you couldn't contain it. So did they not write it down? I think they did. They just wrote it in heaven because heaven's big enough to contain it. So I, I hope that's the case because I'd like to spend a lot of time reading the stuff that he did that, that didn't get written down. But that's what a, that's what a kingdom is. It's a, it's a sphere of authority. So God's kingdom is called what? It's called heaven. God's kingdom is a place that perfectly refra- reflects his character, and his values. It's a place where things operate the way he likes them. Amen? Isn't that that the way you like your kingdom to operate? Just like you want it to operate? How many of y'all know that never happens in your kingdom? No matter how hard you try, your kingdom never fully operates like you want it to operate. It's a place of joy, truth, grace, health, light, and shalom or peace. God's kingdom is a good place Because he's good. It reflects him. People don't lie in the kingdom. Praise the Lord. I don't know what it is, but it seems like today people lie more than they've ever lied before. Maybe that's just me, but it just seems that way. They love truth because he's there. And he is truth. People don't use each other in in God's kingdom. They honor each other. They don't cheat. They love. Why? Because that's how God likes it. But God's kingdom, but God is also the king of this earth. Now stay with me because this is, this is vitally important to the, to the last half of the sermon. So Psalm 47, 2 says this. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great king over all the earth. Psalm 74, 12 says this. But you, O oh God, are my king from old. You bring salvation upon the earth. And then David says in First Chronicles twenty nine eleven and 12, Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O oh Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. So God's kingdom is... In heaven, and God's kingdom is here on earth. However, there's some tension in that statement. Now, nobody has any trouble accepting the teaching that the kingdom of God is called heaven. But some of us this morning might say, how can the kingdom of... How can earth be the kingdom of God? If if if, if a kingdom is... Where everything works out like God wants it to work out and everything goes according to his values and ideas and who he is That doesn't seem to fit with the plant this planet called earth that we live on Why because Here's some things I wrote down Walk into a makeshift surgical hospital in northern haiti where amputations are performed because of a natural disaster come inside from the blinding african sun to see a child in the corner in a corner cot orphan emaciated and dying of aids how can one believe in the kingdom of god in the face of such contradiction visit any nursing home hospital or psych ward feel the darkness of death that that that's appointed that's an appointment that all must keep see those paralyzed by psychotic episodes these seem to be places Where God doesn't reign pick up the phone and listen to, to the conversation between parents and their hardened teenager She's not coming home. She hates her parents Where's the peace of God in that family? Walk through the back alleys and seedy hotels of bangladesh, nepal and the philippines And ask yourself if the sex trade is part of God's kingdom We're not the only ones who are confused about the kingdom. John the Baptist was confused when they threw him into prison. He had preached that the kingdom of God was at hand and that that Christ would baptize with unquenchable fire. Messiah was on the horizon. He was going to knock some heads together. At least that's what John thought. But then John was thrown into prison. And I want you to see this question that he asked. His disciples have come to him or or there and he says look here's what I want you to do I want you to go back to jesus and I want you to ask him this question Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another now now pay attention? What did john say in john chapter 1 concerning jesus? Behold the lamb of god which takes away the sin of the world and here is john right before his death And he's looking around and he's like, if that's the Lamb of God and that's the kingdom that has come, then why isn't life on earth any different? And do you remember how Jesus responded to John's disciples? He told them, he said, you go back and tell John what? The deaf hear, the blind see, the dead are raised. What what were those signs of that the kingdom of God had come? There's a tension here In what sense can we say What the bible says that god rules over heaven and earth Theologians have a phrase to describe the tension in which we live and here's the phrase The kingdom of god is already but not yet The kingdom of god is already but not yet The the best that I can do to help us out here is to is to go back into American history, a, a really terrible time in American history, when slavery was the law of the land, and uh, President, President Abraham Lincoln, in 1861, signed into lo- signed into law the Emancipation Proclamation, or maybe in 1863 he signed that in. Either either way, no, I think he's 61 which said that all slaves are now free. He emancipated them. He freed them. But it wasn't until the end of the Civil War and the ratification of the 13th Amendment on January the 31st, 1865, that what he did in 1861 actually took effect. That's what's happened. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus has come. He has declared independence. He has declared liberty to captives. He has brought the kingdom of God to earth. But here's the deal. There is a war that remains to be fought. Not for victory. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And one day, Christ will come back And that's why we pray, thy kingdom come, Maranatha, come now, Lord Jesus, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He will come back and he will ratify the cross. Everything that he accomplished on the cross will take full effect in his his coming back. But until that, the kingdom of God is not yet fully realized. Does that make sense why because if you if you know your bible at all what is what does your bible tell you 2 corinthians 4 4 says satan is called the ruler of this earth the god of this age he is the prince of the power of the air uh according to ephesians 2 uh, 2 2 the whole creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth we ourselves groan as we wait the redemption of our bodies romans 8 22. so the kingdom is here but it's not yet what it shall be. It's already, but it's not yet. That's why Jesus taught us to pray that that kingdom would come to earth just as it is in heaven. Pastor John Ortberg, I like the way he says it, and this is what he says. May up there come down here. That's the title of this morning's sermon. May up there come down here. In other words, we pray, may your sphere of authority be extended To this earth. Please arrange things down here just as you do up there. So let's take this word kingdom that we now have an idea of what it means and let's develop it. Let's see what the application of that is in our life. So we're going to pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Okay, we want your kingdom to come here on earth. So let's develop this idea of kingdom. The kingdom of God is also here at this moment in the hearts and lives of those who submit to him. And all who believe in him. The kingdom of God is present in the church and the heart of all those who are truly Christian. Christ reigns in such people. But the day is yet to come when the kingdom shall have been established here upon the earth. So what does it look like? What does what kingdom praying look like? It's a mature prayer. Now, it's going to take some maturity. Well, listen, it doesn't take maturity to pray this, but if you so dare pray this prayer, it will lead you into maturity. Does that make sense to you? You don't have to be mature to pray this prayer, but if you pray this prayer, know that maturation is coming. And how many of y'all know it's not, it's not easy to grow up? Look, we got, some, we got some precious kids in this church. But you try to teach them something that's going to make them more, uh, uh, of an, uh, you know, uh, more grown up, and how do they often respond to that? They throw down, throw fits, tantrums, cry, scream, kick, do all kind of stuff. Why? Because it's tough growing up, right? Maturation is not tough. So to pray this prayer is to ask God to bring some maturity into our life. To pray your kingdom come is to ask the Lord to reign now in our lives. There's an old praise song we've sung before. Lord, reign in me. You Remember that song? Reign in me. That's what we're asking him to do. Praying that kingdom come reorients my heart away from the preoccupation of building my own kingdom. Hey, listen. Your default, my default this morning, is to build our own kingdom. That's the kingdom we want to build, our kingdom, the kingdom of our imagination. And when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come in my life, here's what I'm saying to the Lord. Lord, whatever it's going to take to reorient or remodel or reconstruct my life, that's what I want you to do. Why? Because I don't want to live for my kingdom. I want to live for your kingdom. Now, this is how mature this prayer is. In praying that kingdom, what we are doing, we are seeking the end of sin. We are seeking the end of sin. Here's what I mean by that. Praying that kingdom come is an act of putting to death sin in our life. Listen. Listen. If you want to boil down what sin is, here's what sin is. Here's what the king says. Now, what do you do with it? If you obey what the king says, that's righteousness. If you disobey what the king says, that's sin. It's that easy. The king has made decrees, and when we live according to that decree, his kingdom is coming more and more into our life, and what are we doing? We are dying more and more. To ourselves. Pride or self is the root of every sin. Why? Again, here's what the king said. Do I do it? Yes. That means I submit to it. Do I not do it? No, I don't want to do that. That's pride. This prayer is an, is as, listen, when we hear, hey, if, you're, if your eye causes you to sin, what does he say to do? Pluck it out. Figuratively, not literally. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Again, figuratively, not literally. But listen, I would propose to you this morning that praying thy kingdom come in your life is just as aggressive as saying, pluck out your eye, cut off your hand. Why? Because here's ultimately what you're saying. Lord, bring about the death of self in my life Lord kill all the old sinful me that remains will we ever fully experience that here on this earth no but is the prayer that we pray why because it is not about perfection it is about progress perfection happens in heaven but key here on earth is progress towards that perfection and this prayer helps us to do that Listen, people want to talk about real spiritual warfare. That's real spiritual warfare. And it seeks to enforce Satan's defeat. It seeks to enforce Satan's defeat. Colossians 2.15 says, Paul says, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You see, Satan is defeated. So when I pray, Lord, your kingdom come in my life, Here's what I'm doing. I'm asking the Lord, through the agent of the Holy Spirit, to bring about the enforcement of the defeat of Satan in my life. He's defeated already, right? He's. I mean, ultimately, he's lost. But, again, I could use some war analogies where... We've had wars where peace treaties have been signed, but yet some of the bloodiest fighting happened even after peace treaties were signed. Why? Because in those days, it took them a while to be able to get the information to all the different areas where fighting was going on. Listen, we live in a time where, yes, Satan has been defeated, but he is throwing his last-ditch effort to drag as many people to hell as he possibly can. Or in the life of Christians, to make us and render us as ineffective for God's kingdom as he possibly can. So we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, because Satan has been defeated, and I want that defeat it, uh, enforced in my life. And then lastly this morning, this prayer is its a missional prayer. When we pray your kingdom come, man, we are praying a missionary prayer. That kingdom come is a prayer for the progress of missionary activity. This means it is an evangelistic prayer. We pray that the blessings of salvation will flow, that the church will grow in size and influence. Our prayer doesn't seek to install a kingdom, but to be an influence for the kingdom. Anything established here on earth will not last. In praying that kingdom come, we are praying for up there to come down here. It seeks to expand His presence. It seeks to expand His presence. This missional prayer seeks to expand God's presence in the world. Yeah, I mean, look, God is everywhere, but God is not known everywhere. And that's what this prayer does. It's missional. It's sending us out. We've got to proclaim the kingdom everywhere. Praying that kingdom come joins us with God's kingdom agenda. Now watch these verses as we close out here because this is important for you to see the the connection to this prayer to God's ultimate purpose in the world, to ultimately that ultimate kingdom coming to earth. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. All right? So, the kingdom has come, but not yet. But it's going to come one day when Christ comes back. But look what it says. This kingdom must be proclaimed to everyone before the ultimate kingdom comes back. Why? Because, watch, I love this. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people Look for, for God. From every tribe, language, people, and nation. So what is he saying here? Jesus says, the kingdom of God's got to be proclaimed everywhere before I come back. All right, why? Because God has said that there are going to be people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, and people that are going to be in heaven. And then, look at this. So God has ordained the ends. This is important about prayer. God ordains the end. Everybody, I mean, they're going to be representatives from every tribe, nation, and people on the earth in heaven. Okay? And once that that happens, then Christ comes back. But in the meantime, that hasn't happened. Why? Because we pretty much know there's still about 2 billion people that, as far as we know, um, uh, don't have the knowledge of God in where they live. So this is what Jesus said that we are to do. This is what we do in the meantime. This is is the means by which God brings about the end. So God ordains the end, but he also ordains the means. The means to bring about the kingdom of God permanently down on earth is prayer. Look what he says. And Jesus went uh, throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming what? What was he proclaiming? The gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because, uh, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. So do you see that? What, what's, so representatives, all people, tribes, and nations in heaven? Okay, that's got to happen before the ultimate kingdom comes back. How do do we get to there? We got to pray. We pray your kingdom come. God, we we pray that I would be... you, You pray for yourself. God, make me a missionary in my world. You pray that God would raise up other missionaries in the world. You pray for the support of missionaries. Why? Because ultimately if we want the ultimate kingdom of God to come down here on earth, then the only way it's going to happen is by prayer. Last, this prayer seeks to express His purpose. This prayer seeks to express His purpose. Look at a few verses with me, and then I got couple of questions. What's this verse. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again by giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Hang with me. It's getting there. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. Watch. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died, here comes the purpose, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and rose that's the reason Jesus died so that people might no longer live for themselves but for him who died for their sake now watch from now on therefore because and that therefore is because of what because he died for us we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh we regard him thus no longer therefore if anyone is in Christ he's a new creature the old has passed away behold all has become new all of this is from God who through Christ here it is Reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's what reconcile means. Big fancy word that simply means when enemies become friends. So Jesus, God, here's God, here's us, we're enemies. Jesus comes and dies, and that sacrifice becomes the peace offering between enemies. We're reconciled by Jesus to God. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against the, them, and entrusting, watch, to us the reconcile, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making God's appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled with God. So what are we praying when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come on, the, on this earth? We are seeking to express God's purpose. And what is that purpose? To reconcile people of every tribe, nation, and tongue to God. That's how the kingdom of God comes. Listen, it's not primarily to go out and set up adoption agencies. It's not primarily to go and set up uh, food banks. It's not primarily to go out and set up hospital to care for the Physical needs of people. Even all of those institutions and many others that Christians do, those are not our primary, okay? Because what we're not trying to do is we're not trying to create the kingdom of God in this moment. What we're trying to do is live out the kingdom of God in us and show people what the kingdom of God looks like and show people that one day, you know what? There's not going to be any sickness. God is going to heal us. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's that we are all healed and delivered from our sicknesses and our disease. That's what the kingdom of God is. And so we do those things not to establish the kingdom of God but to show people what the kingdom of God is to come. They get a small foretaste of glory in the kingdom right now. But the ultimate kingdom is still yet to come. But we... Pray your kingdom come because what it does is it moves us into this missional endeavor where we begin to express what God's true purpose in the kingdom coming is, and that is to reconcile his enemies to himself. So here's my questions to you to you this morning. Will our father's kingdom will our father's kingdom come? Yes. How? Through prayer. When? No one knows, not even Jesus. That's one of the most mind-blowing verses in the Bible. Why is it so secretive? Nothing glorifies him more than his people working patiently and trusting that his promises are true. So if you're, if you're not a Christian this morning, can I just ask you one question? What's keeping you from experiencing the kingdom of God? What's keeping you right now from trusting yourself to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? You have nothing to fear in coming to him? What will you lose in coming to Jesus? Everything. What will you gain? Everything. All you do is take a pile of garbage and trade it in for a pile of gold. Christian, to what degree is the kingdom of God operating in your life this morning? To what degree is the kingdom of God operating? What areas of your life has the Holy Spirit shed light upon this morning that needs repentance, that needs surrender to the kingdom of God right now? I want you to think about as we go into this final worship song of the morning. If you're not a Christian... It's, it's, it's hard, but it's easy. What do you walk away from? Everything. What do you bring to Jesus? Nothing but your sin. That's all you bring to him. Jesus, here's my sin. I give it to you. Forgive me. He will, As we have already sung, he will forgive you fully and completely of that sin this morning. Christian, you already know that there are areas of your life where the kingdom of God is. Is not being lived out. You have still cornered that part of your life off and put the tape around it and said, This is my little piece of my kingdom. God, you can't come in here. You can't have this. But I'm telling you, if you keep praying, that kingdom come in your life, He's gonna He's gonna He's gonna come into that area. And if you're really his, you can't keep that area off limits. Forever. He's going to make his way there. And he's going to come. Listen. It's like like my parents used to tell me. We can either do this the easy way. Or we can do it the hard way. The Lord says to you this morning. I love you. And we can do this the easy way. You start praying. Lord your kingdom come. In my life. In this area. Or. They'll come a day. Where he says enough is enough. That, you remember what I started out with? Where God says everything is mine, that's mine. And I'm going to take ownership of it. You've held on to it far too long. And some of us know what it's like for God to say enough is enough. That's mine. I'm going to rule and reign in it. And it's, it hurts. It's difficult. But it's because he loves us. So why don't we, this morning... You see, that's a great example. I'm, I'm glad the Lord sent the, the red bird back. He meets me here every morning from about 6 to 7 in this window, and he constantly flies into that window doing this. He thinks... He he doesn't know that's a window, or she... I don't, I, I don't know the how to tell on a bird, but whatever it is thinks it can come through that window. And every Sunday morning between 6 and 7... That bird will just bang its head or beak against that. Now it's moved over here, and it's doing the same thing. Listen, when you try to run your, the king, your own kingdom, that's exactly what it's like. Just plain beating your head and your beak against the window. It is insane. And you know what? I so much want to go out there and grab that little bird and talk to it in whatever bird language is and say, hey, quit doing that. You're eventually going to kill yourself. You're going to break your neck, right? I don't know bird. If y'all know bird, maybe y'all help Mr. Redbird out. I don't know bird. I, don't, I can't talk cardinal. But guess what? Sometimes in talking to human beings, it's just like talking to that bird. They don't pick up on the language. They don't understand what you're saying. But listen, this morning, if you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, then you are understanding it because God wants to do something in your life. Don't be foolish. Don't be stupid. Don't resist the greatest offer that you've ever been offered, and that is for him to rule and reign in your life. Now, this song that we're going to sing this morning to close is, Your kingdom come. I want your will to be done at the cross. And so when we partake of the, of, of the communion table this morning, here's what we're being reminded of. Here's what we're saying. Lord, I want your kingdom to come in my life. Your son was broken and battered and bruised and bloody to give me the, op- to give me the right to become a son of God and therefore a citizen of heaven and therefore to live out the kingdom of heaven. And so I pray that as you go and if you partake of the Lord's table this morning, you will partake of it, committing yourself afresh and anew to praying, Lord, your kingdom come in my life.